0: Homecourt Press is back with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest coming at you every single Wednesday of the offseason. Today we're talking backup fives Tony Bradley and Ed Davis. Do the Jazz have what they need at the position or will they prioritize making some changes heading into next year? We also break down the mid-level exception and how the Jazz could use it to bolster the roster. And of course we finish with our best bets for week 5 of the NFL season. But first, NBA Players Association Executive Director Michelle Roberts recently appeared on Sam Amick's Tampering Podcast and was quite candid about her hopes and expectations for next season. We take a look at some of her most poignant comments. Stay tuned as all that and more coming up next on Home Court Press. Welcome into Home Court Press McCade, it is unprecedented times right now. We're having a great time. We've got NFL football, Major League Baseball playoffs, and the NBA Finals. This is a combination of things that has never before happened in the history of United States professional sports, and we get to be lucky enough to talk about two of the three. Twelve and a half months after the Jazz have reported to training camp for the 1920 season, we finally start to dip our toes into the free agency conversation as this... 19-20 1920 season, mercifully, and, and I do mean mercifully, approaches an end. It looks like the Lakers might be winning another title. 17 in their cabinet, zero with the Jazz. How are you doing, McCade?
1: I'm doing good. I'm curious why you didn't mention your Cubs getting swept. Um, uh, I'm curious why you felt the NBA need to bring season, that up. Yeah, the Jazz first preseason game was a year ago today, and <laughs> it's been a, quite a year since we beat up on a couple teams from Australia, and Joe Ingles was talking some smack and all that fun stuff, but uh, a year later, the Jazz aren't playing anymore, but the NBA is still, uh, I don't even know if I want to use the term trucking. They are still uh, crawling along.
0: (laughs) They're they're just slothing their way to a finish at this point. Jump into news and notes before we get started talking about the Jazz today. Uh, We've been trying to figure out clarification on what next season is going to look like, and I wouldn't say we have clarification from this, but... In an athletic article and podcast with Shams Sharanya, Michelle Roberts, the NBA Players Association executive director, gave some of her opinions on what she thinks may happen, how the next season is going to look in terms of numbers, when it can get started and things like that. And so we'll just talk about that really quick. As far as the cap goes, it's kind of what you and I have been talking about. It should stay right around the $109 million. It was originally projected at $115 million, And she said in this podcast, I don't think we can deviate much from where we projected the cap to be. So, yeah, probably sitting at around $109 million, And I think that makes a lot of sense. Don't you, McCade?
1: Yeah, and the tax will probably stay at the projected number of 139 ish just because the way the tax works is all the teams over the tax have to pay the teams under the tax. And so if you have 25 teams over the tax, that's just making the bottom five teams really, really rich, instead of the purpose being the top five teams, help the bottom 25 teams out. So we're still going to assume on this podcast we're at 109, 139. but it's, that's becoming more and more clear every day. But we'll have to wait and see for the finals numbers to come out. Probably here by the end of the month. I'm assuming they'll get that part done pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Once the season wraps up, we're going to be looking at free agency coming pretty quick. The draft will be coming in November. So I, they're going to have to get those numbers out. And I just, I based on what Michelle Roberts is saying and everything else I've been reading, it does sound like it's going to be a pretty similar salary cap situation to this current season. And then the, the next order of business is gonna be free agency. Michelle Roberts said that she doesn't think they can go much beyond December first with free agency. So again, kinda of like we've discussed, McCaid, it sounds like the draft is, and correct me on the date if I'm wrong, I I think we've talked about it being November twenty first or was it November nineteenth? Something I around it's there.
1: November nineteenth. I believe it's that Thursday. Yeah, so okay.
0: something right around there, and then we'll have free agency following within a week to ten days or so. From that, and, and that, again, will will give us a lot more clarity going into next season. Some, I
1: lied. It's Wednesday the 18th. Wednesday Thursday, the, the
0: 18th. Okay, so Wednesday the 18th is when the draft is scheduled for, and then, yeah, free agency expected to follow a week to 10 days or so, give or take a few days. Great news from Michelle Roberts, uh, something that I've... Had a little bit of concern over just because there's so much up in the air. There's there's so many unprecedented things happening. But she doesn't expect a work stoppage to happen going into next season. Now, the year after, when the CBA has expired, might be a different story. But she doesn't expect a work stoppage before the 2020-21 season. I'll take that as good news.
1: That is good news. Every year we're under a collective bargaining agreement is a good year for the NBA.
0: And then a couple other things, just clarifying what we might look for with next season, what we can expect as fans and media and, you know, everybody, everything in between. She expects the season to start, she said, at the absolute earliest, it would be January. So probably not that Christmas Day start. But I, I, she, she kind of made it sound like the end of January to early February is the most likely. And then just tying it together, Adam Silver was quoted this week as saying that he doesn't he, he sees it as highly unlikely that they would stop the season for the Olympics in July. So that's going to be an interesting limbo to see what they do in terms of how many games they decide to play this next season. Do they go the full 82? Do they cut it back to a 66, a 72, something like that? And And where do they prioritize the Olympics? Because I know as Americans— we we love the Olympics, but the NBA players don't necessarily <laughs> value it in, in the United States as much as yes, some of the foreign-born players do.
1: As the president of the Rudy Gobert's going to make the Hall of Fame fan club, Rudy <laughs> needs the Olympics to go and get another bronze or silver, who knows, maybe even gold medal. So we'll see. It's a big deal for Giannis and Jokic and Rudy Gobert. Luka Doncic, Boyan. There's no Boyan Bogdanovich led the Olympics in scoring in 2016. There's a random fact for you.
0: I didn't know that. Um,
1: go Boyan. So, I mean, it is a big deal. I think it's a lot of wishful thinking right now to play 82 and take the season into September next year. But we'll see what happens um, and see what the guys in the real room decide to do. So,
0: well, I'll tell you, President, if that Rudy Gobert making the Hall of Fame fan club, if the Jazz, and no matter what the NBA schedule is, if the Jazz are playing basketball into July, I'm guessing that means they're deep into the playoffs, and I would rather see the Jazz playing deep into the playoffs in July than Rudy Gobert playing for France in July, even if it does boost his Hall of Fame chances.
1: <laughs> On the bright side, so they have Olympic qualifying tournaments January, no, sorry, June 29th through July 1st, but we don't have to worry about those. USA, France. Already, um, Australia have already qualified for the Olympics. That only affects Boyan on the Jazz, um, because France and Australia and the United States all did pretty well the World Cup.
0: And then the, so. the last order of business with next season from from Michelle Roberts is there's the potential of a bubble still, uh, not necessarily this long-term Orlando bubble that we've seen since July. But she did say they, you know, it could be a four-week bubble where. They get maybe eight teams together, play for four weeks, and then they split up for a week to 10 days and go to a different bubble, and they they mix the teams up that way. So, I, I mean, the way I look at it, the NBA is going to do absolutely everything they can to hold off the season as long as possible in order to get fans in the stands. If that means a vaccine, if that means the the virus magically goes away, whatever that means— Fans in the stands means the owners make more money. Then the players make more money. Everybody benefits from that. But there is that possibility. We ha- we see a more sterile environment similar to what we've watched for the last three months.
1: And if the NBA wants crazy, dramatic ideas that are like out of this world weird, they should shoot me a DM on Twitter. I have some fun ideas. Check out my Twitter. We'll, maybe, we'll probably talk about them off there. Anyway. The NBA could do some fun things. We'll see what they end up doing. As I mentioned, I don't know if 82 games and then a normal playoffs going to September is the best idea, but we'll see what happens. Other NBA news, coaching carousel going on.
0: How about Doc Rivers finding another job, like, <laughs> three days later after mutually, I'm doing air quotes here, mutually <laughs> agreeing to leave the 76ers. Valley or to leave the Clippers, sorry.
1: Teams. I'm assuming, who are the three teams? Rockets and 76ers, and I'm not even sure who the third team is. Maybe the Pacers? Anyway... He got a job pretty darn quick. Congrats to Doc. Uh, Great coach. We'll see. I'm interested to see him in Philly. That's kind of fun. Um, One quick
0: question for you, McKay, in in relation to Doc and the 76ers. He said that he couldn't turn down the opportunity to coach Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Do the 76ers keep both of those guys again and just play it forward one more year?
1: Oh, I do, but I doubt – I doubt all three of those guys make the end of their contract. Doc signed a five-year deal, and Bede's got three or four years. I think Smith has four or five years. And uh, I don't see them all three being there in
0: three years. I don't see all and, three of them and being and there, there to finish Doc next season.
1: likely to be there in three years. Oh. So we'll see what happens there. I still like that team a lot. I still think they're solid and have some places to go. But uh, we'll see what Doc can do with those guys. Other news and notes. Um, Ty Lue's interviewed with three different places now, including New Orleans, Houston, and then, of course, just staying with the Clippers. And, John, do you remember John Lucas III?
0: I sure do. Player development coach in Houston for the last no, decade sorry, or more. John
1: Lucas III, the Jazz point guard.
0: Oh, yeah. The, yeah, I do remember John remember Lucas III. No, he... yeah, you're right. His
1: dad, John Lucas II, uh, has been in Houston for a while. He was the number one overall pick for the Rockets back in the mid-'70s, actually. But uh, he's also closing in on that Rockets job, potentially. And that would set the record for longest time in between head coaching jobs. He was a head coach in the NBA 17 years ago. The uh, awful Cavaliers team that landed him in the lottery that got him LeBron James that was the last time he was a head coach. So that might happen Houston. A lot of teams are still just waiting around, though, so we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, still several jobs open, some really big jobs. I mean, this has kind of been an unprecedented off season so far uh, with the coaching availability, but just because – good and big franchises have have had some coaching turnover. You know, the, the Clippers in Los Angeles, the Rockets, the 76ers already moving on from Brett Brown Pacers. to Doc Rivers, the Pacers. Yeah, like there's a lot of good teams that are looking for head coaches. Normally it's, it's going to be a lot of bad teams, the bottom feeders, teams with yeah. high draft picks, and that's not the case this season.
1: And we didn't even mention the Nets because they filled their spot so quickly. But that's true. Like, yeah, there's some good – coaching opportunities out there uh one more note It sounds like alvin gentry who just got fired from new orleans is also heading to philly i don't think that's been made official yet but that has been a rumor circulating uh alvin gentry was a assistant coach for steve kerr on those great warriors teams as well so very capable of stepping down from head coach role into a really good assistant role and helping a team win
0: i think alvin gentry is a better hire as an assistant coach than doc is as the head coach but hey that's just me so, a
1: lot of good stuff going around. Uh, NBA makes sure to keep in the news cycle year-round, And regardless
0: then of what's going on. Speaking of the news cycle, McKay, the NBA Finals. We're 10 minutes in, and we haven't even talked about the Finals. There's actual basketball, basketball going
1: on. Still. Yeah,
0: there's real basketball in the bubble still. And we're recording this on Tuesday, so Game 4 is tonight. Lakers are currently up two games to one Jimmy Butler put together a legendary all-time finals performance in Game 3, dragging the Heat to victory. And, uh, you know, by the time we record next week, we should have an NBA Finals champion unless it goes seven games.
1: If it goes seven games, we might have to record the podcast during Game 7 and, like, live scream and shout it. Um, But, yeah, no, we're off to a good start. Great bounce back by the Heat to make this a series. As you said, Jimmy Butler, probably a top-five finals performance of all time. Just ridiculous. A 40-point triple double on 70% shooting is insane. And his free throw rate, you know I'm a huge sucker for free throw rate. Um, Great game. Sounds like Bam's going to play tonight. We'll see. But a uh, big difference between Lakers 3-1 and 2-2. So, big game tonight. Interesting. You guys listening all know the result, though.
0: Interesting stat I heard yesterday, I believe it was. I'm not quite certain on the year that happened. I want to say 2003. But Jimmy Butler's the first player to score 40 in an NBA Finals on over 70% shooting without hitting a three since Shaquille O'Neal. And Like I said, I believe it was 2003. But that's pretty astounding from a perimeter-based player.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You, If you've been watching the games or just been online at all, a lot of people are saying, see, Jimmy Butler, analytics. He doesn't shoot threes. But if you actually look at the analytics, Jimmy Butler's like super well-loved by the analytics because he's just super efficient, makes his two-pointers, and gets to the line. But uh, it's not a three-point shooter, and that's okay. And not to take a shot at the draft front office, I hope they're watching and looking and seeing that you don't need to shoot 45% from three to win a championship.
0: Before we talk jazz, let me let me just throw a curveball at you here. Does Jimmy yeah. Butler's performance in the finals and in the playoffs overall, not shooting threes, more of a mid-range game and getting to the basket, drawing fouls, does it raise the value of a DeMar DeRozan type of guy?
1: Nah. DeMar DeRozan's old and weird. I like DeRozan a lot more than most people because he does get to the rim a good amount. And mid-range isn't great, but if you make him, it's okay. And so DeMar DeRozan ends up being an above-average efficiency player because he makes his shots, And that's what analytics really is, is who makes their shots. And then you can weigh it and play with it a little bit to make it a more direct number than just field goal percentage. So I do like DeRozan, not for the Jazz, let me be clear. He doesn't fit with this team. And he's got a weird contract situation coming up this summer. But, yeah, maybe. I do think it does a lot for guys like Rudy, though see, you don't have to shoot threes or this or that to win a championship, because I think there's a lot of similarities between Rudy and Jimmy Butler, both in a game standpoint. Obviously, one's a perimeter player, one's an interior player, but also a personality standpoint. Rudy's kind of that hard-nosed, tough, annoying winner personality that Jimmy Butler is Mm -hmm. that shows that that can be a good thing for a locker room.
0: Mm Well, and I think anybody listening to this podcast would, would agree that Rudy Gobert is the best defensive center in the world, not just the NBA, just the world overall. And so today, let's use that that Rudy commentary to segue into who's coming off of the bench backing up Rudy Gobert. The the Jazz dipped their toes into free agency last year, signing Ed Davis to a two-year contract. He's got another year left on that deal at $5 million, but I think it's safe to say that Ed Davis underwhelmed based on his previous performance. What do you think about Ed Davis?
1: Man, I got really excited for Ed Davis last year. Like I'm sure a lot of us did. I never got fully on the hype train. He brings us 90% of what Derek favors did. Um, I never thought he was that good on the pig and roll or anything like that. But, I'm a sucker for free throw rate and I'm a huge sucker for offensive rebounding. And he was one of the elite rebounders in the league last year, 8.6 rebounds a game in 18 minutes. Amazing. That's over thats 17 rebounds per 36. Like he just hauled everything in. I thought that was really good. I thought he was fluid and mobile enough to maybe play not a lot, but a little bit of four next to Rudy against teams like the Lakers. The jazz never tried that out. Uh, they did with Tony Bradley in the scrimmage games at um, in Orlando. But I was excited for Ed Davis, and it just did not work. Now the question is, is that Quinn Snyder? Is that Ed Davis? Is that a mix? Is that just a bad year? What happened is a big question.
0: I mean, did he fall off the that proverbial NBA cliff where you go from a productive NBA player and, and Ed Davis for all his rebounding acumen, he wasn't a great scorer, not necessarily an incredible NBA athlete. And so his margin for, for error and loss of athleticism probably isn't as wide as some players. So, yeah, was it a system issue? Was it just... He no longer fits in today's NBA. He, he, he lost a, just an ounce of athleticism that caused him to struggle. What do you think it was, McCade?
1: I think it was a system error. Um, he's not that great on the pick and roll, especially getting the ball and making decisions. They're, he's not super tall. He's only 6'9". He's pretty slim for the most part. So he doesn't have the vertical explosion that Rudy or Derek Favors does. Or even Tony Bradley's got a little bit softer touch. you see Tony will make these little floaters or mm-hmm. three for three from the three point line this year. I'm filling that out now, no, but' <laughs> I, I think it's just he was missing something, and Quinn Snyder didn't do a very good job of hiding that something now what that something is, I don't know it's it, you just have to watch and you can just tell something's off. Uh, yeah. I think he was fine defensively, not great. A lot of his minutes came with Jeff Green, which obviously did help, but uh. It did not work, and as much as I love Ed Davis, I would love to see the Jazz move off his contract, not only for a financial standpoint, but for a uh, roster spot.
0: Yeah, he never seemed to look comfortable coming off of the bench for the Jazz. He does does have kind of a a herky-jerky style. I think that leads to some of his limitations offensively. But I, I never saw him falling off as a rebounder and defensively like he did this year, and that's what I was really surprised about and and then yeah, you bring up the the next important point with Ed Davis is, I I don't feel like Ed Davis's value to the Jazz comes on the court at all at this point. It's it's that roster spot that you mentioned. It's the five million dollars that he's due coming up this season, and it's five million dollars that the Jazz could use somewhere else on the roster if they can move Ed Davis for a second round contract. I I think it's possible because. All around the league, Ed Davis is looked at as a glue guy, somebody that that teammates love. Damian Lillard talked about him, I think it was last season, as being his favorite teammate ever. Uh, I think he played with Ed Davis for three years up in Portland and just loved the guy. Everywhere Davis has gone, he's been the consummate professional, even when he's not contributing. You never heard a peep out of him. This year, sitting on the bench, he, you know, it was probably 11, 12 games into the season before Quinn Snyder pulled the plug and started going with Tony Bradley at the backup center. And so I think Ed Davis still has some value for a team that I look at a team like the, you know, maybe the Atlanta Hawks, somebody who needs it, needs a backup big and more so than that they just need some veteran leadership on the team so do you think the jazz can find some value in moving ed davis or do they just have to write off that contract and release him
1: yeah so a little nerd cap stuff is: you if you cut him you could stretch his contract. So instead of one year five million you make it three years at 1.7 million each so you could do that i don't want to give up a second round pick just to dump him i don't think it's that bad of a contract it's one year five million as i said you could stretch him and it'd be a lot easier so I wouldn't give up a pick for him. But I do think there's a team out there with cap space or without that would be willing to trade for him. A team I would look at is maybe Phoenix um, with mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton. Because Ed Davis, people, Jazz fans kind of know, but I'm not sure how much they've really noticed the impact he's had from a mentor standpoint to Tony Bradley. Ed Davis is on that 2009 Tyler Hansborough Championship UNC team. And then Tony Bradley was also on this most recent North Carolina championship team. So both these guys have college championships from North Carolina, same college, all that fun stuff. There was really a good bond between those two, which made it so easy when Tony Bradley overtook Ed Davis' role, or even when Ed Davis would get some minutes later in the season and some injuries happened, all that fun stuff. It was good for Tony Bradley to have Ed Davis in the locker room. It was. That said, I don't think it was good enough to bring him back. You do try and look to move on from him. But if you can't, you just you keep them around, and then you cut them when you need their roster spot. And normally, stretch stretcher guy, you have to do it by August 31st. Obviously, we don't know what that date is this year. Sorry, as I said, I'd look into that. But Ed Davis did bring a lot in the locker room that people don't talk about.
0: Yeah, and that's why I don't think it's an immediate situation the Jazz have to, to work to get off of, because you know that... Ed Davis is still going to be a good guy in the locker room. He's still going to serve as a mentor to some of your younger players. And he's still going to work his butt off every day in practice. If they can move on from Davis, great. Save that money, whether they stretch the contract, whether they look to trade him and and try and acquire, recoup a second-round pick of some sort. I would love to see the Jazz be able to do that. But either way, I think that Ed Davis on the $5 million is going to be beneficial to the Jazz, whether he's on the roster or not. But let's let's shift the conversation now to Tony Bradley, who did take over the backup center role. Bradley's going into the final year of his rookie deal. He's going to be making $3.5 million. And he showed a lot of growth last season. He was a a lot better last year than he had been in the two years before that. But at the same time, I, I watched Tony Bradley on an NBA floor, and you have to find the right matchups for him. He can't play against most bigs.
1: I love Tony Bradley. Um, We can get into this if you want.
0: That's please do.
1: Tony Bradley is legit backup center, top 40, top 45 center in the league. I think he's going to play in the league for 10 to 15 years. I think he's fantastic. I think Jazz fans struggle with him a little bit because he's not Rudy Gobert. (laughs) And when you watch Rudy Gobert, who plays every single game for 35 minutes a night, Get spoiled and get used to elite defense and all that fun stuff. You get used to how good Rudy is on the offensive end, which people don't like to hear. But Rudy Gobert is just that good on the offense end as well. That it's weird when Tony Bradley comes in, and so you look at the numbers and everybody's really good with Rudy Gobert and everybody's really bad without Rudy Gobert. And the one player who doesn't benefit from that is Tony Bradley because he doesn't get the positives of playing with Rudy Gobert. Um, so I would love to keep Tony Bradley around. I would love to keep him as the backup center if we can find other options with the MLE, which we can talk about uh, a little bit later and into next week. I think you keep Tony Bradley. He was fantastic.
0: I don't think Tony Bradley is a bad player. I do think he's le- he is a legitimate NBA center. But like I said, you've got to find the right matchups for him. At three and a half million dollars, that's probably more than I want to pay Tony Bradley. I absolutely see your points about he doesn't get the benefits that everybody else on the jazz roster does playing with rudy gobert on the floor together but when i watch tony bradley play he's just so limited athletically that i think what ends up happening is because of the way the jazz play and rudy's dominance on the defensive end there's no other way to put it he's absolutely dominant you either have to play a completely different style with Tony Bradley on the floor just because he's not capable. He doesn't have the length that—nobody has the length that Rudy does. Let me, let me be perfectly clear here. But I think you— See, you, he's not Rudy. You either have to change your style defensively when, when Tony Bradley is on the floor, or you need to find— a backup center that matches what Rudy brings. And it's never going to be at that same level. But a guy like a Nerlens Noel, who has the athleticism and can block shots, and you can at least play the same defensive system with Rudy off of the floor. You can't do that with Tony Bradley. And he's just so limited athletically that in spite of his absolutely next-level offensive rebounding prowess, his athletic and defensive limitations are so glaring that i I don't think tony bradley's future is with the jazz i don't disagree that he's a 10 plus year center in the league but he's not a guy that's ever going to play more than 15 minutes on a winning franchise and he's just i don't see him long term with the jazz i don't see it at all
1: um i don't think people realize how great of an offensive rebounder he is really a rebounder as a whole but specifically offensive rebounding so tony bradley this year had a 19.1 offensive rebound percentage rate. Um, league average for a team is about 24. So you can break it down. So league average for a center is probably somewhere between 10 and 12%. 19.1% is the 10th best mark of all time behind two Dennis Rodman seasons, three Jason Williams seasons, and three Moses Malone seasons
0: but he's doing that against guys who aren't going to be in the league in two or three years. I don't know. He's not going to do that against starters.
1: And you can make that argument. That maybe I mean, his offensive rebounding will probably come down. As I said, it was top 10 all time this past year. Like It was just ridiculous. He had 111 offensive rebounds in 660 minutes. Um, but that has a lot of value to an offense, and that's one of the reasons I think the bench turned around is not necessarily the quality of shots was going up, or we were making more shots. But Tony Bradley just came in and he made sure you get two or three extra shots. And in those 10, 15 minutes, that's a big deal. He gets to the line well. He shot sixty six percent from two and a hundred percent from three. I mean, come on, where are you going to find a hundred percent three point shooter? <laughs> um, knock on wood, right? And three for on three. Attempt, it was on three whole attempts. But I do think there's potential there, and. There's at least a floor there. I think he's a very solid floor raiser. I don't know how many times this year I looked at a game. And I was like, dang, Tony Bradley is the reason we lost that game. He Does just it? came in and he was super solid. He made the shots he took and he got offensive rebounds. And from a bench player, that's an elite. We talked last week with our young guys about you need one elite NBA skill. And Tony Bradley is an elite all-time great rebounder. And that has a lot of value on a team when Rudy Gobert off the court.
0: Absolutely. I don't disagree, but my question is, does his ability as a rebounder, specifically as an offensive rebounder, offset his limitations on the defensive end of the floor? In yeah. some matchups, yes, but overall, I think you can do better as a backup center for the system that the Jazz play.
1: No, you're right. There are some defensive limitations, but again, I think that comes from the Jazz front office not putting good defenders on this team and it's funny because jazz fans want Derek favors right now for the mle which we can talk about and i don't necessarily disagree with if you can get favors for the mle then sure bring a man and tony bradley can become your third center and if an injury happens i feel totally comfortable having tony bradley be the second center but Derek favors is not a backup center Derek favors is legit starting center <laughs> and if you can play him as a backup center your team is going to be fantastic I, so I'm not saying Tony Bradley is this bad. that. I'm saying he's somewhere between the 25th and 45th best center in the league. And I think that's true. And I told you this before we started recording and you wanted me to bring it up, but I would look to extend Tony Bradley this summer if you don't get a guy like Derek Favors or whoever you want with the MLE. If they want to go big for the MLE, they can probably do that, and then you don't need to. But if you do commit to Tony Bradley going forward, I would try and extend him this summer and not wait for him to hit free agency next summer.
0: So before we get into the nerdy cap ramifications of the middle level exception, if you think the Jazz should extend Tony Bradley, what type of a number would you you give Tony Bradley that you think is reasonable and doesn't hamstring the Jazz? This is and this is going to be assuming that Rudy Gobert is on a max or, or a super max or near super max deal, so probably thirty five plus million a year. How much more are you willing to put in the backup center position?
1: I would give him three for 18, three for 21. That's a lot a of money for, for a Tony
0: Bradley, man. That is, get, I don't see anybody else paying him no. that. What? I don't see anybody else paying him anywhere near that.
1: I Somebody will, I think, next summer. If they they'll look at Tony Bradley and say, let's take a shot at a super cheap center, who was super, super cheap, potentially breakout starting center because we've seen it with Tony Bradley in summer league and in games when Rudy doesn't play, he's a walking double, double, he's going to get you 15 and 15 just by stepping on the court. Um, now you do got a debate and watch the game and figure out are those empty numbers? Are those helping the team win? Or are those just really solid 15 and 15 numbers just by floating around on his on athletic body. Um, and then the other thing is I always like giving players more than the two, three, four million because I think the middle class is losing in the NBA and having a guy at six seven million can really help in trades and matching money. Um, if it's not that big, you'll get more than three million. But I would probably look at something like a three for eighteen with a team option on the third year. So similar to the Dante deal, but about half of what Dante got.
0: So if we talk, you know, six million dollars a year for three years with a Tony Bradley. I, I think if it's nineteen ninety five and we want to compare percentages of the cap, yeah, <laughs> he's Tony an all-star he, in he probably gets that type of money, if not a little bit more. But in today's NBA, he is he's a dinosaur man. He he just he can't run with some of the gazelles that we have in the league. Even the backup units are so focused on athleticism, especially at the center position, that. It's so difficult to match up well with with Tony Bradley, unless you're playing a, a Willie Hernan Gomez or something like that, then Tony Bradley just doesn't fit on an NBA floor very often, and that's why I don't see him getting that type of money. To pay somebody $6 million a year going into next season, especially in a year with so much instability in terms of the cap and and what teams are going to be able to afford and are they going to have fans in the stands and all of that, I think you have to be able to commit to playing him 20 minutes a game. And Tony Bradley is not a guy that can play 20 minutes successfully in the NBA. I think he he's limited in such a way that you have to pick your spots. It's it's like uh, in baseball when you've got a, a platoon situation with a couple of right-fielders where I'm going to play one guy against right-handers, I'm going to play another guy against left-handers because otherwise they're going to get exposed. And I think if you play him more than 10 to 12 minutes, Tony Bradley is going to get exposed more often than not.
1: Uh, so we're obviously on different levels on our love for Tony Bradley. You think he's got ghosts for tax second coming, don't
0: you? No, um, I hated Greg Ostertag. I like Tony Bradley a lot more than I liked Ostertag. He,
1: wasn't Greg Ostertag the 28th pick in the draft as well?
0: 27th. Anyway. I think he was 27th.
1: Oh, okay. So he had more potential. No, but, <laughs> but it'll be interesting see what the Jazz do with Tony Bradley. Because I'm like Donovan Mitchell, who you know I'm super against extending right now because of cap reasons. Donovan's cap holds 15. We're going to sign him for 30. Tony Bradley's cap holds 10, and I want to sign him for 6. So that would actually clear up some space. We'll have to see what happens there. I'm excited for Tony Bradley's future, though. I'd probably lean to getting a center with the MLE, but if they don't, I'm just fine with Tony Bradley moving forward.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. Homecourt Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court Press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E P8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at priest 24 That's B P R E E C E twenty four. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press and now back to the show. All right, McCade, let's let's jump into that. Mid-level exception. Tell us from the that nerdy cap perspective what the mid-level exception is, how the jazz can use it to their benefit, and then once you've explained all of that, we'll we'll kind of talk about what we would like to see them do.
1: Yeah, so the mid-level exception is when they made the salary cap, people want to break the rules, right? Everyone wants to break the rules. Um, and so the NBA gave teams a way to sign a player over the cap. Everybody in the NBA gets one, but there's three different kinds. If you're under the salary cap, it's about $5 million for two years. That's what the Jazz used to sign at Davis last year. If you're up as a tax team, it can be for three years, and that's about five and a half, six million million, $6 million, but that's also kind of rare. And then for probably 15 to 20, 25 teams in the NBA, it's what we call the non-taxpayer level, the full MLE is what you also hear it called as, and that's a good $9.5 million. That is basically just a, here's some extra cash because you're over the cap. So you basically have $9.5 million. You can sign them up, up to four years. You can split it. You can give it to a whole bunch of guys. That's how the Miami Heat got Duncan Robinson is because they just said, okay, we don't want anyone with this, so we're going to do Five players, $2 million of it, and we're going to roll with it. Um, The reason you do that is a minimum deal is because it gets you a four-year deal instead of a two-year deal. So that's the deal Duncan Robinson's on. Um, So, yeah, the Jazz, where it's projected at probably 9.3 this year, maybe as high as 9.7, but that's aside the point. That's basically what every team has to offer. Here's $9.7 million, come to our team.
0: So is Um, the mid-level
1: playing field, everyone's going to be offering the same amount of money for some of these guys. Does that make sense?
0: Is it something that, depending on where you are in relation to the tax, is it something that every team has available every year? Because I know you said that they used it to sign Ed Davis this previous offseason, and now being under the cap, they, they have a little bit more available. So is that something that every team has every year, just depending on where their tax situation is at?
1: Yep, every team has it every year. As I said, probably 20 of the teams, it's 9.5 million. A couple of teams close to the tax or 100% under the cap, it's five, five and a half million. Um, but for the most part, for the Jazz, nine and a half million. The same the Lakers are going to offer, the same the Clippers are going to offer, the same just about everyone's going to offer. Actually, the Clippers might be a tax team anyway. So, but the big thing here is you can split it between players if you want. Mm-hmm. So you can give four and a half to one guy and four and a half to another.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's the big ques- question for the Jazz, is how do they use the mid-level exception? We we saw in the bubble, we saw in the playoffs, that they need more depth. They've got to have more on this roster. But how do they go about doing that? Do you use the full mid-level exception for a... In a Basically, do you focus on depth, or do you look for top-of-the-mark talent with that 9.7, 9.3 million dollars, whatever it's going to end up being? So, do you offer that to a guy like Derek Favors, who we've got to realize, Jazz fans, if we do want Derek Favors to come back at that mid-level exception, he's going to have to take a huge pay cut, over eight million dollars of a pay cut. Is he worth more than the 9.7? Probably in today's NBA, but is he worth that to the Jazz, knowing that he, he understands the system, he fits in the system, he loves Utah, and uh, from everything I'm seeing, he wants to be here? Or would it be more beneficial to, hey, you know what, Faves, we loved you and your contributions with the team, but we feel like we can benefit more by bringing in two or three or, like you said, with the Heat, five guys and splitting that up in five different ways. What do you think is more likely with the Jazz?
1: So I, I would assume that Jazz will just use it on one person. They might try and lower it from 9.3-ish to like 7.8 and then use the other part of it on a undrafted free agent like they did with Mioni last year to get that guy in a three-, four-year deal instead of a two-year deal. Because when you look what happened to Wesley Matthews, what you don't want to do is offer an undrafted free agent a one-, two-year deal, and then he breaks out and you don't actually have him for that long. So you might want to get that down a little lower to make room for one more guy at the end of the bench with it. Um, or another option, which is probably what teams do with the biannual, is you wait until the buyout market and then mm-hmm. use this money for a buyout guy yeah. because then you can offer more. The so question in this situation is, I think, on the reverse side. For guys like Derek Favors or Jordan Clarkson, is nobody has cap room. Only six teams have cap room, and they're all bad. Yeah. You know, it's the Knicks, the Pistons, the Suns, and the Hornets. Um, I think are. There's one more I'm missing. I think the and Hawks, the Heat right? Have cap, what?
0: Don't the Hawks have cap space? The Hawks,
1: yep. And then the Heat have cap room, but they don't want to use it because they want to go after Giannis next summer, so they're just going to pay Crowder and Drogic on huge mega deals. Yep. One year, like $20 million deals. Yep. So, But it comes down to Derek Favors and Jordan Clarkson when you go, okay, nobody's going to offer me anything with their cap space. So I have two options. I either go back to the team I'm on, and they can pay me more than this, or I go to a team on this. It's not like... Derek Favors, for example, is going to have five offers for $12 million, $14 million, and $8 million, and this and that. He's going to get an offer from the Pelicans. That's probably somewhere between 12 and 18 And if he doesn't want that, he's going to go to the MLE market, and six teams are going to be like, you can have our MLE. And then he chooses between those six teams. And that's how it's going to be for a lot of players. And as I said, Jordan Clarkson included. The Jazz will make their offer, and Jordan Clarkson can either take that offer, or he can go, and he'll get the MLE offer from five or six teams.
0: So, we're going to talk oh. a lot more about free agency next week. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't want to get, I don't want us to get too deep into that just because I think that next week with free agency, we'll talk about Jordan Clarkson and, and everybody yeah. the Jazz already have on the roster and what we would like to see them do to, to use that roster space. But let me ask you this question, McCade. Going forward, what, what position or player type? Would you like to see the Jazz target in free agency? Do you want a, Do you want an offensively minded player? Do you want a defensively minded player? Do you want a, a big, a power forward, center type? Do you want somebody with switchability? And just how feasible are these different options?
1: <laughs> That's a good question because everybody always wants a three and D wing, right? Everybody wants a three and D wing, but there's none on the free agent market this year. Maybe Mo Harkless,
0: mm-hmm. but. Uh,
1: If I'm the Jazz, I'm looking to get a starting four who can play 15 minutes next to Rudy and 15 minutes behind Rudy. Maybe not even that much. So a guy like Derek Favors, I really like Tristan Thompson from Cleveland. Um, If you want to go cheaper, Aaron Baines is a guy who comes to mind where they're versatile enough to play a big lineup with Rudy for 10 to 15 minutes a night, but they can also be your backup center because if you're going to give a guy $9 million, you don't want him just to play... 15 minutes behind Rudy. If you're going to do that, Tony Bradley's fine.
0: So so you mentioned a couple guys there that I I really like, and in two different ways. Derek Favors, we've already talked about him, and I'm sure we'll talk about him more next week. You bring up Tristan Thompson. He's someone I hadn't thought of a whole lot. I look at Tristan Thompson and his game, what he brings. He's kind of like a rich man's Tony Bradley. And uh, he's a, he's a very good rebounder. He's a little bit more athletic, but I think that athleticism is slipping a little bit. So it's kind of a... It you know, conversation about what is Tristan Thompson going forward when the, the Cavs have been in the finals with LeBron and Tristan Thompson and those guys playing the Warriors. Tristan Thompson wasn't very useful in those series because the Warriors would go so small that death lineup would basically play him off the floor. But, over the course of 82 games, he's he's a great guy to have. If Rudy gets banged up and misses two or three games, you can start him at center. You can get those power forward minutes. I don't know if they could necessarily play next to each other. That seems like kind of a, a tough fit there. But that leads me to Aaron Baines, another guy that you mentioned. Uh, Aaron Baines could be the perfect type of player for the Jazz. He probably does fit under that six to seven million dollars a year that you were talking about possibly offering tony bradley he's a guy that can step outside above the three-point line and and hit the three at a high enough rate and keep a defense honest that i think he he offsets some of his defensive limitations and that he's not going to play the same type of rudy but offensively he does enough that i i think that makes a, a big difference and he's a pretty good passer and so, if you could get Aaron Baines uh, at like a six to seven million dollars a year, and then use another two to three million dollars somewhere else on the roster, I think that might be almost an ideal situation for the Jazz.
1: Yeah, and Aaron Baines, we saw him play next to Al Horford in Boston, so he mm-hmm. can play kind of that big with a four or five, but he can also just be your backup big, good defender. Um, a little bit older, he's like thirty four, I believe. Mm-hmm. Realizes he's that old.
0: He's got a terrific yeah. beard.
1: Yes, and uh, <laughs> best Twitter account on Twitter is his fan page. Um, no, so Aaron Baines is a great option. People like Bobby Portis, I'm not huge on him. He's got a 15 million dollar team option in New York that I'm assuming they're going to turn down and send him into free agency. So he's another guy that could be in that six to 10 million dollar range. Mm-hmm. If you want to get really, really hopeful, Serge Ibaka. But I'm assuming he's one of those guys that just goes back to Toronto for more than the MLE. Marcus Saul is another one, but it sounds like he's going back to Spain.
0: Yeah, there's been some rumors about that. That's been so, an interesting development.
1: Um, however, side note, there is, I guess, in that negotiation, he's going to try and come back into the NBA midseason next year after the Spanish league ends. So maybe you save it and spend it on Marcus Saul. Um, no, you wouldn't have to pay him that much money, but maybe Mike Conley can bring in Marcus All halfway
0: through the season. And you there's love Marcus Gasol.
1: And as you can see, there's a lot of bigs. So yeah. you could just wait, let everyone get their bigs, and the last guy available will say, okay, we'll give you five instead of nine and just wait and play the waiting game. So there's a lot of options, a lot of bigs. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's no wings. It's like Mo Harkless maybe and not a lot else. So it's just a weird situation with not a lot of free agents and not a lot of cap space. You basically just got to convince one of these guys to come to your team. And the Jazz can do that. So, one of these guys will come to the Jazz if that's the direction the Jazz
0: want to go. So last question for you. and I I had thrown a lot at you before, but... In your opinion, do you think the Jazz would be better served focusing on an offensive-minded player or a defensive-minded player with this, with the the biggest deal that they hand out? Whether that be the full mid-level, whether it be splitting it up and giving a guy six million dollars, or you know, if they if they even split it up more and go with like a four million dollar guy, where do you think they stand to benefit the most, offense or defense?
1: They need a defensive guy, um, specifically a big-bodied. Solid, not even a good defender, but just somebody who can guard Rudy's back. Now so when Rudy gets dragged 10, 15, 25 feet out from the rim, you need somebody who can protect the rim at an average rate and then help get the rebound when Rudy forces a perimeter guy to miss. Because we saw so many times this year Rudy would get stuck on the perimeter, they'd force a miss, and he'd force a pass, and then there was just no secondary line of defense there. And that's why Derek favors Rudy Gobert. Their lineup worked so great. is because both of them felt comfortable stepping away, knowing the other would slide in and have their back if they got beat. Um, that's what makes Rudy so great, is he covers those mistakes. So we need someone to cover Rudy's mistakes uh, at the very rare times he does make one.
0: Well, I think you and I have probably argued more today and disagreed more than we have <laughs> in any previous podcast. But in, in this sense, focusing on a defensive-minded player, I think you and I are 100% on the same page. It, that was where yeah. the struggles were at. I think that they'd probably be best served to spend that money on the perimeter defensively. But you've already said it. The three and D players are the flavor of the month in the league, and they're really difficult to find. There's not very many of them unless they're they're going to get lucky and uncover a diamond in a rough. And those are yeah. some guys that we can talk about next week as we dive more into the free agency conversation. I've got a few that I'm really interested in. But, McCade, where can they find you on social media?
1: Uh, you can find me at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Um, feel free to ask me any questions. I've got opinions. <laughs>
0: Have you been in any fights this week? No, we're good. Keeping it clean. Keeping the cap sheet been out clean. Best behavior. <laughs> and then you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at BPREECE24. Mostly I'm just sharing the podcast, but I do check it most days when I come into work in the morning. So. If you have any questions or comments, any ideas for uh, future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to either McCade or I. We love interacting with listeners of the podcast. And then when it comes to the podcast, if you like what you're hearing, you enjoy it and feel like you're learning something from it, please remember to subscribe, share, rate, and review the pod so that it is more widely distributed and people can find it and get some more some more of their jazz information, especially as we get deeper into the the off season. I was looking at a few different jazz podcasts and doesn't seem like there's a lot that are operating right now during the off season. So let's this is our niche, McCade. Let's make a run at it. You know where to find me. I'm always around. (laughs) All right. Well that wraps us up for jazz conversation. And now we can jump into our NFL three guarantees of the week. Now I I gotta couch this a little bit for you. I have to couch it for you, listeners, just a little bit. When I say guarantees, that's a very loose term when we're talking about McCade's picks. He's two and seven so far in the season in three weeks with us picking. Whereas I'm on the other end of the spectrum, seven and two. So maybe lean toward my picks a little bit more. They're just they're better picks.
1: I'm actually doing really, really well against the spread on my non-guarantees. So we'll just keep going with those non-guarantees and not count the top three. But uh, we'll see how it goes this week you ahead. You start us off.
0: Okay. I will start us off. Let me pull up my sheet here. And the the three picks that I have this week, we will go back and forth once again, as per the use. I'm going back to that Thursday night. Well, I don't like fantasy sports on Thursday nights, fantasy NFL, but I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus five and a half in Chicago against the Bears. I think Tom Brady's looking a lot better than I expected. This last week, he threw five touchdown passes to five different guys. And then I look at the Bucks' defense, which I think is even better than their offense. Really good pass rush. They're excellent against the run. And the Bears have Nick Foles. Uh, To me, that sounds like a recipe for Buccaneers success.
1: Super Bowl, like what, twenty-five months ago? Yeah. So no, but I looked at that game too. I just couldn't quite get there on a Thursday night game. My first game. I think the Cardinals, after two rough losses, bounce back, get a win at home against the Jets, who are coming all the way across the country. Um, cover six and a half and they still win and win by that much
0: okay That's, so you're taking the, the Jets plus six and a half or the Cardinals sorry, minus no, no, six and sorry.
1: a half I'm taking the Cardinals minus six and a half against the Jets and that game is actually in New
0: York Okay, that up.
1: but give me the Cardinals bounce back after two rough losses take care of this against the Adam J Sled Jets
0: well hopefully that turf monster doesn't jump up and bite Kyler Murray that has been rough that's it's been a tough one out there in New York. My second pick I'm going to take the Washington football team plus nine against the Rams, and in this one the the Rams are a much better football team, and really I didn't like any of the lines this week, so I'm just banking on the West Coast team going east and playing the early game, and the body clocks just being off, and the Washington football team and Dwayne haskins be able to being able to keep it under nine points. That's not asking too much, is it?
1: No, Rams only got eight against the Giants this past
0: week in a weird game.
1: Um, I got Steelers minus six and a half against the Eagles. Steelers coming off their quote-unquote bye week in the Battle of Pennsylvania. I just think their offense is going to take care of business against the Eagles. Um, We shall see. They should be healthy, should be ready to go after a bye week. Fun game. Steelers minus six and a half against the Eagles.
0: Interesting pick. Eagles finally put together a winning week, but, yeah, I – I think that's a, a pretty good pick for you. My last pick on the week, uh, again, I didn't like any of these, and this it, it was a small enough line, and I, I liked the two and a half. So I'm taking the Colts minus two and a half in Cleveland against the Browns. The Browns' offense has looked really good. They've scored more than 30 for three straight weeks. It's, I I heard a stat during the game. I want to say it's the first time in franchise history they've done that in like since like the 60s. Don't quote me on that one. 67. Was it maybe? Um, Nick Chubb is out with a knee injury, so that could hurt the Browns. Baker Mayfield, in spite of them scoring 30-plus in three straight games, still hasn't looked great. But I'll tell you what has looked great. The Colts' defense has probably been the best in the league. They're only allowing 253 yards a game, and they haven't allowed more than 11 points since week one. So give me the Colts, minus 2.5 against the Browns.
1: I looked at that one, too. I'm still really debating on that one for, against the spread and straight up. But my last one's kind of a bolder prediction, which I should probably stop making if I'm 2-7. and seven.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, You should.
1: But my theme of the week this week is 6.5 point spreads. So I took the Cardinals and Steelers minus 6.5. I'm taking the Jaguars plus 6.5 in Houston. Houston fired their coach. I get new coaches can come in and like hype things up a little bit for a game or two. I think Houston wins this game. But I think everything's just so off in Houston right now, they can't win by more than 6.5. So give me Jaguars plus 6.5 road
0: division game in Houston. Okay, good picks. Those are our NFL guarantees of the week. Like I said, you might want to lean more toward my picks if you're putting some money down in Vegas or online. I'm 7-2 and two on the season, pulling away from McCade, who currently sits at 2-7. and seven. But either way, McCade, I'm having a lot of fun with this because I just like competition.
1: <laughs> I just am a nice person. and I'm tanking. So, A, I can get the number one pick next year. And, B, I like playing people dinner. <laughs>
0: Oh, you're such a sweet guy, McCade. And thank you for listening to Home Court Press. Let's go Jazz. And hopefully the the Heat can put together a couple wins and extend this NBA Finals before the inevitable purple and gold Lakers bringing home a championship.